The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you this morning. Certainly continue to pray for me as we turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Mark. This will be our seventh sermon out of the book of Mark. I wasn't sure when we started if it would be a series, but I think you can safely say after seven sermons it's a series. So, And this, as inspired by God to write it down, is a sweet, simple little gospel. It's an account of what the Lord Jesus Christ did while he was on this earth. And if you remember, it starts off with a simple statement that's profoundly simple, but it's simply profound. That's what the gospel is, right? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, it doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? <laughs> it says this is the beginning of the gospel, that is the good news. And what is the good news? That Jesus is the Son of God. And you know, none of what we're reading here would be any good news at all if Jesus were not the Son of God. Because none of what he did would be effective. He would just be some traveling sideshow and instead we're reading about the very God of heaven come down in in human form and I don't mean just looking like a human but as a human he was fully man even while he was fully God and we've been going pretty fast through this book but we slowed down in the last couple of sermons and we're going to we're going to slow down today as well and delve into some details the last two miracles that we studied uh, are two of four that put Jesus' divine power on public display. We saw where he had power over the natural forces at the end of chapter 4 as he stilled the water and calmed the waves. We read last Sunday about how that he had power over demonic forces when he, when he tamed the untamable Gadarean man. Today we're going to look at his power over physical disease, and his power over physical death. Now, as we look into chapter 5 here, beginning in verse 21, I want to ask you a question. What happens when Jesus gets there too late? This morning we're going to look at a time when Jesus got there too late. Bear with me. Listen to this. Verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. I want us to look first at Jairus here, this man who came to Jesus. And I want us to understand that Jairus was an important man. We're told here that he was one of the rulers of the synagogue. It was a big deal to be one of the rulers of the synagogue, especially in that day. And that meant that his daughter was important too. His family would have been well off by the standards of the day. They might not have been rich. They might not have been overly wealthy. But they would have been living a comfortable life. 
And again, remember, he was a ruler of the synagogue. But I want you to notice something. Jairus did not approach Jesus as an equal. He did not approach him as somebody equal in status to him or that he was equal in status to Jesus. As as a matter of fact, he approached Jesus as a supplicant. Notice what it says. It says, he came and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. He fell down before him. This ruler of the synagogue, that would have probably made an impression on some people standing around. The Irish didn't come to Jesus and say, hey, I'm a ruler of the temple. I need an audience with you. Instead, Jairus came to Jesus and said, he fell down before him. He recognized there was more to Jesus than just the average rabbi or teacher out there. And can't you, can't you hear the urgency and the despair in his voice? Can't you hear? Listen, he says, he besought him greatly. This wasn't a man with a, on, a, on a, <clears throat> a, a daily task, a ho-hum, humdrum task. He, he wasn't out there partway interested saying, well, if you think you can help, come on. He, he knew there was something there. And, and can't you just hear the desperation in his voice? My little daughter lieth at the point of death. That, that would be the equivalent of me today saying, my baby girl is dying. My baby girl is about to pass away. And, and he says, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. This was a desperate father. This was a father who had used up all of his options. There was no other hope or help for this young lady. He knew that Jesus was the only option. And notice what he says, I pray you. He besought him greatly, please come, please hurry. Don't you hear the hurry in his voice? Please hurry. We've got to get there before it's too late. She's about to die. I need you, Lord, to come and to take care of this problem. I need you to come and heal her before it's too late. And Jesus went with him, followed by the crowds. But now I want you to notice what happens. There's another character walks into this story. Remember the urgency and the dis- and the desperation and the and the dis- you know the, the 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 fear, the the worry of this father. Don't can't you see him say, "Okay, come on." Jesus says, "Jesus says I'll, I'll I'll come. I'll go with you." And here he comes, and but the crowds are with him, and and I know I can just see. I know this father. I'm that father. Come on, Lord. Just okay. I know. Come on. Let's go. Speed up a little bit. Come on, let's go. Can't you just see him? I mean, can't you just feel that? And then, suddenly, in walks another woman. Verse 25. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. 
Now, this woman had a story all her own. This woman, unlike Jairus, was not living in the lap of luxury, was not high up in status in society. This woman, as a matter of fact, for as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive, notice, you're going to read later on, his, Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. This woman had this issue of blood 12 years for as long as that little girl had been alive, this woman had been suffering and spending her money living a very different, much less privileged life. And let me just say this much without going into too much detail about her problem. A woman with this particular problem under Jewish law would have been seen as unclean and would have had to isolate herself from society and from family. She would have been considered legally unclean and she would have had to be separated, not quite in the sense of a leper, but similarly so. Because this issue of blood had not cleared up in 12 solid years. So while Jairus' daughter had lived a more privileged life in a clearly more loving family, because her father cared about her, my little daughter, my little girl, my baby girl, this woman had suffered over a decade of isolation and misery. And, and, and she wasn't content in that position. She had spent all of her efforts and all of her money, and all of that was fruitless. And in fact, she grew worse. She grew worse. What a very different set of circumstances we have here. Jairus' daughter, in a life of privilege and some degree of comfort, with a loving family around her, and this woman separated from her family and plunged into poverty because of her problems for more than a decade. But notice what happened, verse 29. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? <laughs> now I want to... I want to remind you what we just said. Remember her circumstances. Twelve years separated. Twelve years isolated. Twelve years struggling with this problem that was a constant problem that caused so much problems and pain to her. No wonder Jesus stopped. <laughs> Do you know Jesus? Do you know what He's like? Do you know how much compassion He has for, for, for His children? No wonder He stopped. People in that day were wondering, why is He stopping? Jairus was probably wondering, why is He stopping? No no wonder he stopped he stopped and he said who touched my clothes if you remember maybe two sermons ago maybe three there was a time when Jesus family came to him and they tried to lay hands on him his friends and family came to take him they said man he's lost his mind he's crazy he's not even eating right go back a couple of chapters and you'll see what I'm talking about that hadn't stopped <laughs> That hadn't stopped. Even Peter, you, if you read this account in Luke, the 8th chapter, you'll see that Peter's the one that, one of the ones that says this. Verse 31, Jesus says in verse 30, Who touched my clothes? Remember, there's a crowd around him. They're thronging him. And, and he says, Who touched my clothes? And then his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? Are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. <laughs> That's what Peter himself says. Lord, I mean, there's so many. What are you talking about? 
You know, isn't it amazing how many times people thought Jesus had lost his mind? I want to tell you something, beloved. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, people think you've lost your mind. <laughs> people think you've lost your mind. You go to this little church up here. They don't even have a choir. They don't have any kind of programs other than they just get in there and they preach and they pray and they sing. Have you lost your mind? Look at the big churches. They're getting people over and over. They're getting all kinds of people joining, but not these little churches. Why are you here? Well, like Jesus, we've lost our minds. <laughs> I hope we have, our earthly minds at least. See, Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. And this time, Jesus brought healing. His disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be, thou, be whole of thy plague. Now, I, I got, boy, I could preach another hour on, on this. You know, sometimes the healing occurs before we really understand what's happened. I think that's what happened with her. She just knew she had been healed. She knew something had happened to her. You know, that's kind of what happens in the new birth. In the new birth, you know, I don't believe in this theory that the new birth happens and then you go on like you were. Now, I'm not talking about, brother buddy, some kind of perseverance that gets you to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. All right? I'm not even talking about you got to persevere in order to prove you, all, you were born again in the first place. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You can go back and act like you used to act, and you can live like you used to live. But one thing about it, after the new birth, you won't be happy doing it anymore. And that's what happened to her. She knew something had changed in her that, that virtue, the, the Greek word is dunamis, dunamis. That's the word we get our, that's where we get our word dynamite from. Dynamite, <laughs> power had gone out from Jesus and it healed her. And he said, you are made whole. You know what happened with her? Jesus got there right on time. It worked out for her just perfectly. I can see her going back and saying, man, let me tell you, I, I thought I was at, at my, last, it's my last gasp effort. But when I met this man, he fixed it all. He was right on time for her. But what about, what about Jairus? What about Jairus and his daughter? Remember, Jairus, the ruler of the temple, from a totally different background and set of circumstances, had come to Jesus with an urgent sense of fear for his daughter. His daughter was at the point of death. And, and I can just see him during this whole episode standing over there fidgeting, fretting, worrying, saying, we got to go. Oh, man, we got to go. I, I, how do I tell him? How do I get? Lord, we're going to be too late. We're going to get there too late. And then in verse 35, verse 35, his worst fears were realized. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? 
Why in the world did he stop and tarry? Why in the world? He knew how, how important it was. He knew how urgent my request was. Where was Jesus when I needed him? <laughs> I, I just ask you, have you ever been there? I, I got to admit, I've been there. Why, Lord? You know, there was two sisters, two sad sisters one day who, who sent for Jesus because their brother was sick, just like this. You can read about it in the 11th chapter of John. And Jesus tarried. He waited. And he didn't come. He didn't go. And, the, and the, their brother died. And four days later, after he had died, Jesus finally showed up too late in their minds. Said, said Lord, if you'd just been here, if you'd been here, our brother hadn't died. Now, how many times in my life can I look back when I felt like I had prayed as deep and as hard and as sincere as I could, and it seemed like the Lord just didn't show up. The Lord just was tarrying, and He wasn't there, and He wasn't there on time, and He came when He finally showed up. It was too late. <laughs> See, that's where Jairus is. Jairus is right here. He's rushing to get the Lord there. He wants Him to come and to do what He needs doing, you know, something He couldn't do Himself, and, and then He gets the word that His worst fears were realized the little daughter, my baby girl, has died. But then Jesus says something to him that is really amazing when you think about it. Jesus doesn't look at him and say, man, I'm so sorry. Oh, man, I, if I'd known, I wouldn't have stopped here. I'd have kept going. Uh, I, I, maybe next time. That's not what Jesus said, is it? Jesus said something amazing. He said, as soon as he heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Listen to this, beloved. This is Jesus' message to us when we perceive that he's missed the appointment, when we perceive that he's not there on time, when the things don't work out like we want them to. He says, do not fear, only believe. Beloved, do you know our primary recourse in the face of devastating news is to trust in Jesus. I saw about Brother Oliver this morning, Brother Oliver Junkin, who, who uh, uh, was a precious uh, friend and, and, and wonderful child of God who, who affected so many of our lives. And when, when his oldest son passed away and I went to take him the news... He didn't say, oh man, why didn't the Lord do this? You know what he did? He said, the Bible says, all that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. That was his go-to verse. That's where he went. He, he trusted in Jesus in the face of devastating news. Beloved, Jesus says to this man, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what they tell you, the financial markets have, have, have fallen. Everything has crashed. You are, you are devastated financially you are destitute now your wife has left your husband has left your your parent has died your child has died he said what does he say do trust in me don't fear only believe trust him trust him verse 37 it says, and he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept 
and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, <laughs> and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and they that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and saith, said unto her, Talitha Cumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked. For she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. <laughs> Jesus says to Jairus, don't fear, just believe. And then he does something also kind of strange. He doesn't take everybody. I'm not sure why he didn't take anybody else. Maybe he wanted no more naysayers distracting his disciples or the parents from what he was about to do. You know, in times of trouble, I don't know about you, but I like to commiserate. You, ever th you know what that word means? Commiserate. Kind of sounds like co-misery, right? I like, to, I like to find other people that are miserable like me, and I can talk about it. I can go wallow in it, you know? I, I don't want to hear somebody that's bubbly and happy, you know, bouncing around. When I'm feeling bad, I want to make you feel bad. <laughs> so we can talk about it together, you see. Jesus, he puts those people out. What we should be doing in times like that is committing ourselves to Jesus alone and surrounding ourselves with others who are committed. You know, if, if we want to wallow around in misery together, we'll just get deeper and deeper down in the mire. But if we, if we will surround, you know, that's one thing I say about when, when, when someone passes away, and I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing this at all, because there may be times, there have been times when I didn't feel like going to church. I didn't feel like, you know, I had someone uh, pass away the day before, and I needed some time, and I get that. I'm not, I'm not, fussing at you if you don't come to church when you lose a loved one. That's not what I'm saying. But I've also done this. I've also lost a loved one. My grandmother passed away on Sunday morning, about 2 o'clock in the morning. And you know where I was at 10.30 Sunday morning? I was right here. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back because I didn't want to come. But I got here, and I'm telling you, beloved, I was around like-minded, committed children of God, and it was able to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That's what I needed in that time of loss. That's what I needed. I would have preferred to go over in the corner and, and weep with somebody else that had lost their grandparent. But what I needed was to focus upon Jesus. Focus upon Jesus. Look at verse 39. <laughs> he said, why are you crying? Why are you making such a big to-do about this? And then he says something, again, amazing and a little bit shocking. He said, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. <laughs> I think about this often. Um, this morning I had to go in. I went in and woke the children up. And in particular, thinking about this, this passage here, I went into Ashley's room. And Ashley was laying on her side. Facing, with her back to me, facing the wall. And she wasn't moving. She wasn't making any sounds. I didn't throw up my hands and run screaming to her and hollering and weeping and 
making a big to-do, because you know why? I knew she was just asleep. All I had to do was speak to her and wake her up. Now, I understand death is different for us, but death isn't different for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why he never got upset? You know, nobody ever died in his presence, first of all. In fact, he messed up several funerals. <laughs> they had these big funerals planned, and man, everything was great. They'd even rolled a rock in front of one of, them, uh, one of the tombs, and, uh, and they had to move it, and he crawled on Lazarus to come forth. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not upset. Now, he doesn't like death. Death is an enemy. Death is the greatest enemy. But you see, he knew that all he had to do was say, damsel, arise, and she'd come up. Now, I know it's different for us. I, I, I understand. It was different for Jairus. As far as he was concerned, her death was final as far as this life is concerned. But you see, when you put your trust in Jesus, you can come to the understanding that while death is a separation, it's not final. It's not the end. Do you understand, beloved, that there's coming a day when every single child of God who has ever died, whether they died centuries ago or whether we just buried them out there in the cemetery, is going to come awake. That's what, that's what the Lord calls death. He says, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, Paul says, concerning them which are asleep. And that's, isn't that a sweet way to, for the Lord to give us to look at death? I wouldn't call it that. I would, I would call it that horrible, terrible death. But Jesus says, call it sleep, because that's what it is. Because one day I'm going to wake them up. One day I'm going to call and they're going to answer. Job, from the very beginning of, of the writings of the Old Testament, the oldest book in the Old Testament, the oldest written at least, Job says, you will call and I will answer. <laughs> You'll have a desire to the work of your hands, Lord. See, one day, even if death is decades of separation for us here, in the whole scheme of eternity, what is it? It's the snap of a finger. It's a blink of an eye. But they laughed him to scorn. They said, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. But, you know, they may have laughed him to scorn, but Jesus always gets the last laugh, doesn't he? And in verse 41, as we've already read, he looked at that young lady and he said, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise, arise. You know, and, and by the way, the scorners here, what they're saying to Jesus is, you're too late, man. You're too late. You missed the appointment. You should have been here earlier. If you'd been here earlier, you might could have saved her, but you're too late now. You know what Jesus did? He said, get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. He cast out the scorners. You want to be a scorner? You're going to get cast out. I don't mean eternally, but I tell you, you're not going to enjoy, you're not going to experience the full blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ if you're a scorner. <laughs> well, I've never seen it happen this way before. Get ready and buckle up because the Lord has a way of doing things you ain't never thought about, okay? <laughs> the Lord has a way of blessing in a way you never considered, beloved. <laughs> get ready. <laughs> Don't be a scorner. The scorners get cast out. <laughs> if I'm scorning him, he's going to say, look, just go, go outside. Get out of here. Get out of here. You'll see later. Get out of here now. He, he cast them out. 
He cast out the scorners, but he carried in the seekers. I know that father. I'm that father. I know you are too. You love your children. You want the best for your children. He was wanting, he may have not fully understood or fully believed, but I'll tell you what, he was seeking the best for that child. He brought them in and he showed them his power to raise the dead. And notice it says straightway. The damsel arose. I like that word straightway. We've read it about four or five times lately, hadn't we? Straightway, the issue of her blood dried up. Straightway, the winds and the waves were calm. Straightway, this woman, this young lady raised up. So, this is the, this is the story. This is the account here. What, what lessons should we take from it? Well, first of all, and probably one of the most important lessons we can get out of this, this episode in the life, the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, is that Jesus Christ is always approachable. Always. From any background, from any geographic area, from any ethnic ethnicity, from any, from any circumstance, He is approachable. Now, I'm certainly talking about after You've been born again. I understand John 6, tells us, no man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me drawing. But when you've been born again, when you've been born of the Spirit, born from above, it can be in the deepest, darkest reaches of the Amazon, or it can be in the middle of a church service, wherever you are. You can be the richest man in the world. You can be the poorest of the poor. It does not matter. The circumstances don't matter. Jairus and the woman may have seen completely different, but all they did was approach Jesus from different circumstances in life, different places. You can't say, well, I, you know, I'm not privileged like Jairus. I'm not a ruler of the synagogue. Jesus can't help me. <laughs> or you can't say, I'm too privileged, you know? I'm too privileged. I'm not like this woman. I can't get... Listen to me, beloved. This, is, this daughter raised in privilege has just as much access to the power and the authority and the salvation of God in an earthly sense, in a timely sense, as the woman who had spent all and was lost in poverty and sickness. Out in the world today, we're seeing divisions that are, that are appearing everywhere. There are racial divisions, political divisions, uh, demographic divisions. There are, are divisions based on your financial condition. There are divisions based on all sorts of things. But let me tell you, beloved, the church of the living God is the only place, it's the only place where the rich and the poor and the black and the white and the privileged and the downtrodden can meet together in perfect harmony, beloved. We're not all from the same background. We didn't all follow the same path to get here, but Jesus walked a path to get us here, you see. And because He did, we have peace and harmony in His presence. And also notice this, just so you'll not be, not forget this. I hear this occasionally. Well, you're a preacher. You don't understand what's like out here for me. <clears throat> Jairus was the equivalent of a preacher. And he did not take precedence over that woman who was lost in poverty and sickness and isolated from her family. You notice Jesus stopped on his way to minister to the preacher in order to minister to the downtrodden woman. Don't ever 
be guilty of saying, well, he's a preacher. He's, we got this, Brother Buddy preached a wonderful sermon about that recently. We got the same problems you got. And preachers don't take precedence over those who are struggling of God's little children. Secondly, one thing we don't need to miss here is that Jesus is ever with us here and now and is concerned about our daily needs. You know, he didn't just save us for eternal heaven and, and say, okay, now good luck while you walk, wander around down here. I want you to notice something. Don't miss this. In verse 43, Jesus did not just raise her from the dead. He looked at them around him and said he commanded that something should be given her to eat. Did you know Jesus is concerned with your daily sustenance? Both certainly from a physical sense, but also from a spiritual sense. You know why we have the church today? Well, I realize the first priority is to worship God in spirit and in truth. But you know why he gave it to us like he did? Because we need it. We need it. We need to be fed. God's children need to be fed. Sheep have to eat or they'll starve. When Lazarus was brought out of the grave, only Jesus could raise him from the dead. But then he commanded those around to loose him from the grave clothes and let him go. In this case, only Jesus could raise her from the dead, but then he commanded those around her to feed her. Beloved, I can't resurrect you. I can't, I can't cause you to be born again. I cannot give you life, but I can feed you through the power of the Holy Ghost. Only Jesus can make a child born again. But once that child is born again, Jesus is concerned that that child be fed. And that's what we're here to do as a church, beloved is to feed God's sheep. And finally this morning, you remember the question we asked at the beginning of this sermon? What happens when Jesus gets there too late? Jesus is never late. Okay, that's the answer. Jesus is never too late. He's always on time even when physical healing does not come. And I will say it further, especially when physical healing does not come. You say, well, well, I prayed like Jairus that my child be spared or that this loved one be spared. And they weren't. They died anyway. Beloved, remember what we said in our, that our primary recourse is in times of devastating news is to trust Jesus. Jesus says, be not afraid, only believe. What is it about Jesus that we're supposed to trust? What is it about Him that we're supposed to believe in? Number one, He's the Son of God. Remember, that was the beginning of the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is Jesus is the Son of God. And, and the, the good news about that is, is that He's about to do something that will, that will put death to death that will put death out of business. We need to believe and understand even in the face of an, what we would consider an unanswered prayer, a prayer of healing that does not come, a prayer of salvation here in a timely sense that does not materialize. Beloved, we need to understand that He has the power to deliver and that He will ultimately deliver us from this sin-cursed world. You remember the three Hebrew children? They told that, uh, that uh, the great king over there 
they said, O king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. said, Our God is able to deliver us. That's what we ought to believe about our God, that He's able, He has the power to deliver us. And then they say something even more striking. They say, And He will deliver us, O king, from your hands. Now, they didn't know at that point that He was going to be with them in the fiery furnace. They thought they might very well die, but they knew that even if they died, they would be delivered from this sin-cursed world into the very presence of the almighty holy God. (laughs) You remember in John 11 when Jesus finally got there late? (laughs) Martha said, if you'd just been here, Lord, (laughs) if you'd just been here, okay? And then, then he said, he said to her in verse 23, he said, thy brother shall rise again. And she said, I know that he'll he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said this unto her. Here's what we need to believe and trust about Jesus, even in the face of devastating news. When you think Jesus has missed the boat, when you think Jesus didn't get there on time, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I hope you believe that. I believe that you do believe it. Because I'll tell you what that does for you. In the face of troubles and struggles and temptations and trials, circumstances that would overwhelm you, storms of life, Storms of life that would otherwise overthrow your faith and sink your boat. If you believe Jesus has the power to deliver us from this sin-cursed world and that he will do it in his time, then you'll understand that Jesus is never late. A loved one may die. The cancer may not go away. The, uh, the, The markets may not turn around. The job may not materialize. But you know what Paul said? He said, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction. You read the life of Paul. That wasn't light affliction, beloved. I mean, he got beaten and run out of town, shipwrecked. Light affliction? Well, it's light to Paul. Here's why. Not, because, not when he's thinking about the affliction. Our light affliction, though, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When? While we look not at the things which are seen, keeping his eyes on Jesus, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, For we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Do you think the Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary for all those that the Lord chose in him before the foundation of the world, but nevertheless he doesn't care about what you're going through? No, beloved. He died to deliver us into his very presence. So don't let death even overthrow your faith because death is the deliverance for a child of God. In this case, 
Jairus' daughter was raised. But you know what? She had to die again. The woman was healed for a time, but she had to die again. He didn't say, just trust me when the healing comes. He says, you trust me always because one day ultimate healing will come and you will be with me forever. Jesus is always right on time. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.